WGNS Murfreesboro, W270AF Murfreesboro, W263AI Murfreesboro, Smyrna. The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Your host, J. Paul Newman of the Monthly District Attorney Show, will now take you on a journey to explore recent Rutherford County court cases, cold cases, and more. We welcome everyone to the program. My name is J. Paul Newman. My co-hosts today are Rutherford County District Attorney General Jennings Jones and Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. We thank WGNS for providing the airtime. We also thank our producer, Scott Walker. Most of all, we thank you for listening. To begin the broadcast in our Call to Conviction segment, I will discuss the 1997 murder of 32-year-old Lori Faye Wilson. Then, in our Inside the Court segment, District Attorney General Jennings Jones will tell you about recent and upcoming grand jury, general sessions, and circuit court activity. And later, in our What's the Law segment, Assistant District Attorney General Trevor Lynch will discuss an area of the law that impacts on our community. We will begin the broadcast after you listen to these important messages. This is Dan with Music World and Drummer's Den. I'm the guitar tech here. We're a pretty well-rounded music store. We have every guitar, keyboard, drum that you might be looking for. Parts are available, strings, accessories. We also have lessons, $25 for a half hour of keys, anything with strings and drums. It's all here, Music World and Drummer's Den. We're your hometown music store. Music World and Drummer's Den, 2762 South Church, right across from Indian Hills Golf Course. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Family Restaurants. Did you know that Demas's now can cater events? We can ship most of our pastas and we can deliver it to your door. If you're interested in our catering, you can go to demasesrestaurants.com and click on the menus on catering to see what options we have available for your next event. Demas's Family Restaurants, go to demasesrestaurants.com. Demas's Family Restaurants on 1115 Northwest Broad Street. From call to conviction, time now for a look back at one of the more intriguing and important cases for this community. From the crime, the investigation, to the prosecution. On today's call to conviction segment, we'll review the case of Lori Faye Wilson. Lori Faye Wilson lived in the Stones River Apartments on Warrior Drive. She was a valued employee at a local dry cleaning business. She was 32 years old. She was married to Charles Wayne Wilson. Charles Wilson was 44 years old and was self-employed. On Sunday, June 22, 1997, government employee Bart Smith received a phone call from Charles Wilson. Information from that phone call brought police to the Stones River Apartments. 
inside of Lori Faye Wilson's apartment, the police find her lifeless body. The medical examiner determines that Lori Wilson had up to 17 distinct injuries. Miss Wilson had bruises all over her body. Some were a week or more old. Others appeared to be recent injuries. Her ribs were broken. She had cuts on her hands, feet, and back. She had bruises to her face and two black eyes. The medical examiner ruled that Lori Faye Wilson died as a result of a beating that caused traumatic brain injury and death. Charles Wilson was not at the apartment. The police determined that Charles Wilson has fled the scene. Within days, Charles Wilson's vehicle is located parked at the Nashville airport. Crime Stoppers post a $1,000 reward, and on June 25, 1997, Charles Wilson is placed on the TBI's most wanted list. It will be 69 days before the police come face-to-face with Charles Wayne Wilson. On September the 1st, 1997, Charles Wilson is going the wrong way on a one-way street in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Chattanooga Police Officer Mike Stroh stops Wilson and asks for his driver's license. Charles Wilson gives the officer a driver's license bearing the name of William Lockhart. Wilson is acting nervous. Officer Stroh decides to take precautions. He searches Wilson and finds a loaded 9mm pistol in Wilson's waistband. Wilson ultimately tells Officer Stroh who he really is and that he is wanted for murder in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. When we return, we will tell you about the trial of the state of Tennessee versus Charles Wayne Wilson. I'm out of Florence West. I like Adam's place because you get friendly with everybody. They give you too much food and help you too much. Are you saying Adam's place has spoiled you? Yes, sir real big and I tell them that too they've got me rotten I would encourage anyone to come to Adams Place I'm Terry Deal call me for more information about Adams Place located at 1927 Memorial Boulevard across from Walmart look for lots of sunshine for this afternoon with high temperatures working up to 80 for tonight mostly clear 43 and upper 60s on Saturday I'm meteorologist Michael Kara, News Radio WGNS. Right now it's 50 degrees. There is no safer place in the storm. Talk Radio WGNS, Murfreesboro. FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, TV 11. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website and Alexa or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. The trial of the state of Tennessee versus Charles Wayne Wilson began on June the 1st, 1998. Charles Wilson was represented by Rutherford County Public Defender, Gerald Melton. The state prosecution team consisted of District Attorney General William C. Weitzel, Jr. and Assistant District Attorney J. Paul Newman. The trial was held in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and was presided over by the Honorable Judge Steve Daniel. Wilson's defense was that he did not kill Lori Wilson. Evidence presented by the state 
indicated otherwise. On the second day of trial, June the 2nd, 1998, Charles Wilson suddenly decided he wanted to plead guilty. After much discussion, the state and the defense agreed that Charles Wilson enter a plea to second-degree murder and that Wilson be sentenced to serve 60 years in prison. Charles Wilson was 44 years old when he beat Lori Faye Wilson to death. Under this sentence, Charles Wilson would be over 90 years old before he would ever be eligible for parole. Detective Mike Turner of the Murfreesboro Police Department was the lead detective on the case. We now welcome Mike Turner to the broadcast. Good morning. Sergeant Turner, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you became involved in law enforcement? I am the son of a retired Marine Corps officer, and I had two choices, police work or going into the military. And after meeting my now current wife, decided to raise a family and stay here and go into law enforcement. Can you tell us some of the names of the many law enforcement officers who were a part of the team that investigated this brutal murder? Yes, sir. Mickey McCullough, Jim Gage, Scott Miller, Captain Nathan McDaniel, Hubert Jones is a patrol officer who responded to the scene that night. He's now a sergeant with our detective division. Myself and members of the TBI's crime lab, I believe the FBI got involved somewhat, post office and their investigators, Officer Stroh from the Chattanooga Police Department, and I'm sure there's more that I've forgotten about over time. At some point, Mr. Wilson became a fugitive. Can you tell me what efforts were made to locate Charles Wayne Wilson? Yes, sir. The Crosstalk was offered a reward for information leading to his arrest. We also listed him in the NCIC computer network as being wanted for first-degree murder, and I believe the TBI at some point shortly after that had placed him on their top ten most wanted list. From your investigation, I believe you determined that Mr. Wilson obtained a Florida driver's license in a different name to help hide his identity. Can you tell us how he went about getting that license? He informed us that he had paid for a Social Security card and a birth certificate in the name of William Lockhart. He used that to obtain false identification from the state of Florida. Can you tell us if Mr. Wilson had taken any other steps to help change his identity and to avoid arrest? Yes, sir. I, uh, he grew a beard. He drove his personal truck, I believe it was a Dodge pickup if I'm not mistaken, and parked it at the Nashville airport and then fled by unknown means to Chattanooga, down through Georgia and into Florida. Did he ever purchase another vehicle? Yes, sir, he did. He purchased a, a Ford pickup truck in Florida or we assume was in Florida since it was registered in Florida and was bearing a Florida license plate. When he was arrested in Chattanooga, did he have any large sum of money on it? I believe we located $3,000 that was eventually seized from him and held. Can you tell me whether or not Charles Wilson ever gave a statement to you? He did. He admitted that he had slapped Lori Wilson, maybe knocked her down over a chair, but he never would admit, never did admit, to actually killing her. In the statement that he gave to you, did he ever mention anything about putting her in the shower? Yes, sir. He uh, he informed us that he, he heard her coughing later on that night and that he woke up. He tried to assist her by breathing into her, which we assumed was rescue breathing, and then he put her in the shower to clean her up. 
I know that you responded to the scene, and I know that when you went to the scene, you observed Miss Wilson. Can you tell me, was there anything unusual concerning any rings that he mentioned in the statement? Yes, sir. When I found her, she was laid out on top of a sleeping bag in the bedroom of the apartment and did have three rings placed upon her chest. Through your investigation, can you tell us what you believe were the motives for him to commit this crime? We believe he was angry over some perceived damage to his truck that she may have caused by spilling some gasoline in the bed of the truck. He also indicated through letters to family that he was upset with her son because he had messed up some paint on a, a job he was working. But past that, I don't think we really did come to a clear-cut motive other than he beat her on a regular basis. I know that her co-workers at the dry cleaning company were very supportive and that they gave you information concerning seeing bruises on her in the past. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, sir. She had uh, bruising to varying degrees of healing from fresh bruising to old bruising, and they informed us of this, that she had been a victim of abuse in the past. This was not Charles Wilson's first brush with the law. Can you tell us about Charles Wilson's background and his interaction with law enforcement? He had served time in state prison system for prior convictions for theft and burglary. At one point, he was uh, being arrested by McVinville Police Department and officers. And during that arrest, he attempted to get one of the weapons from one of the officers. He's been arrested for being a convicted felon in possession of a firearm. He's got a pretty violent past history at this point. I know that we've talked a lot about Charles Wilson, but can you tell us a little bit about the victim, Lori Faye Wilson? From everything that I could learn about her, from her co-workers, from her family, she didn't have a natural enemy. She she was liked by everybody. The customers that came into the business where she worked liked her. She was uh, just a nice person from everything I could gather. In this case, Charles Wilson will probably not live long enough to make parole. He will be in his 90s when he is eligible for parole. In your opinion, does the punishment fit this crime? Oh, most definitely. Based on his violent past, he's a danger to society crime he committed in the severity of the beating that she received that eventually caused her death, I think it's uh, very appropriate. This person who has that kind of past criminal history, assaults law enforcement officers, he's just a danger to society, period. Can you give us some indication about the different size between Mr. Wilson and Lori Faye Wilson? She was a very small and petite woman, very small in stature. Charles Wilson was well over six foot four, probably closer to six five. Very large individual. The, the, the physical difference between the two was, was immense. Sergeant Turner, this was a case of domestic violence, and we hope this case stands for the proposition that domestic violence will not be tolerated in our community. What advice would you give to victims of domestic violence? They need to reach out and look for help, ask for help. Call the police department, whether it's the sheriff's department, our department, any law enforcement agency, wherever they're at, to seek assistance. Domestic violence won't get better by itself. And without them reaching out to us, if we don't know about it, we can't help them stop it. Sergeant Turner, we want to congratulate you and the other members of the Murfreesboro Police Department for bringing Charles Wilson to justice. We will return with our What's the Law segment after these messages. 
If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Receive breaking news, sports scores, traffic, and weather bulletins on your cell phone. Sign up for text alerts at WGNSRadio.com. At Heritage South Community Credit Union, we help when others won't. It's what our members tell us we do every day. The older model car that you need to get to work? Yeah, we've helped with that. The HVAC unit that suddenly needs to be replaced? We've helped with that. Repairing your credit? Yes, we've helped with that. How about a second chance at a checking account? We've even helped with that. Experience the Heritage South difference. Learn more at heritagesouth.org. Insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. What's the law? Time now for an examination of the laws of Tennessee. This is not intended to be legal advice and is being presented solely for the informational benefit of our listening audience. You should always consult with an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to this episode of What's the Law? In today's episode, we're going to talk about the procedure to transfer a juvenile to adult court. In our adult courts, the primary focus is on accountability for a person's actions. That may be rehabilitation, or it may be punishment, or it may be both. In our juvenile courts, the primary focus is on rehabilitation of juvenile offenders. However, there does come a time when a court may be tasked with determining if all that can be done has been done, or if because of the age of the juvenile offender or the delinquent act is so egregious, our juvenile court system is not capable of addressing the offense committed. In a moment, we'll talk about what it takes to do that. But before I begin, I would like to tell you that in our juvenile court systems, unlike adult court systems, our juveniles are not considered defendants. They are juvenile offenders, and their criminal acts are not classified as crimes per se. They'll be referred to as either delinquent acts or unruly acts. Unruly acts are the type of acts that can be performed only by a juvenile. It would not be a violation of any law for an adult to do so. Examples would be truancy, skipping school, or out after curfew. Delinquent acts would be the equivalent of what you have as a crime for an adult. Only a delinquent act is eligible to be transferred to adult court. Having said that, Tennessee Code Annotated 37.1.134 sets out the criteria which must be met in order for a juvenile court to transfer the juvenile to be held according to law and dealt with as an adult in the criminal court of competent jurisdiction. Disposition shall be as if the child were an adult. In order to be eligible for transfer, the juvenile must fall with one of the following categories. If they're less than 14 years of age at the time of the alleged conduct, they must have been charged with a first or second degree murder or attempted first or second degree murder. If the juvenile's 14 years of age or more, 
but less than 17 years of age at the time of the alleged conduct, they must have been charged with committing or attempting to commit any of the following offenses. First-degree murder, second-degree murder, rape, aggravated rape, rape of a child, aggravated rape of a child, aggravated robbery, especially aggravated robbery, aggravated burglary, especially aggravated burglary, kidnapping, aggravated kidnapping, especially aggravated kidnapping, terrorism, or carjacking. If the juvenile is 16 years of age or more at the time of the alleged conduct, they must have been charged with committing or attempting to commit the offense of robbery. If the juvenile is 17 years of age or more at the time of the alleged conduct, then they can be transferred for any delinquent act. In all cases of first-degree murder, the death penalty is not authorized by law for any juvenile. At the hearing, the juvenile is entitled to the assistance of counsel and all basic rights one would have as an adult charged with a criminal offense. So how does the process start? Once again, it falls to the Office of the District Attorney General to review the facts of each case and make the initial determination. Should this case be transferred to adult court? If the District Attorney's Office decides that merits a transfer, then reasonable notice in writing at the time or of the time, place, and purpose of the hearing must be given to the juvenile and the juvenile's parents, guardian, or custodian at least 14 days prior to the hearing. And the court must make three findings by a probable cause standard before the case may, may be transferred to adult court. First, the court must find probable cause to find that the juvenile committed the delinquent act as alleged. Next, the court must find by probable cause that the juvenile is not committable to an institution for the developmentally disabled or mentally ill. And finally, the court must find by probable cause that the interests of the community require that the juvenile be put under legal restraint or discipline. In making its determination, the court shall consider, among other matters, the extent and nature of the juvenile's prior delinquent record, the nature of past treatment efforts, and the nature of the juvenile's response to those efforts. The court must consider whether the offense was against a person or property and greater weight in favor of transfer is given to offenses committed against a person. The court must consider whether the offense was committed in an aggressive and premeditated manner. And the court must consider the possible rehabilitation of the juvenile by use of procedures, services, and facilities currently available to the courts in this state. The court must consider whether the juvenile's conduct would be a criminal gang offense as defined by statute if it were committed by an adult. And the court should consider whether the juvenile has a history of trauma or abuse, including but not limited to the juvenile being a victim of a human trafficking offense as defined by statute. Now, understanding this, if the juvenile court transfers the case to adult court, then the jurisdiction of the juvenile court is terminated 
with respect to any and all delinquent acts which may or which the juvenile may then or thereafter be charged with. Once transferred, that juvenile is thereafter treated as an adult on any pending or future charges. However, if the juvenile is acquitted of the offenses that were the basis of the transfer or the charges are dismissed by a judge or the district attorney general, then the juvenile, if still a juvenile, would return to the jurisdiction of the juvenile court. What if a person commits an offense as a juvenile, but they turn 18 before they're charged? This has happened before. Is a person treated as a juvenile, or is a person treated as an adult? I'm going to ask co-host J. Paul Newman about the oldest person he has ever had to do a transfer hearing from juvenile court to adult court. Trevor, the oldest person I transferred from juvenile court to adult court was David Cal Gilly. Gilly was 17 years old at the time of the crime, and he was 44 years old when he was transferred from juvenile court to adult court. The case was the 1984 murder of Laura Salmon, and David Calgilly was later convicted of first-degree murder. One other interesting fact about the juvenile transfer proceeding is that statements made by the juvenile at the juvenile court hearing under this section are not admissible against the trial if objected to in the criminal proceeding following the transfer. What that means is a juvenile can testify at their juvenile transfer hearing and any statements they made during that hearing cannot be used against them in adult court. Thank you for having me today and that would conclude this segment of What's the Law? Good morning. That traffic flow still looks pretty good at the moment on 24 westbound coming out of Coffee County through Rutherford County. And we've actually been in pretty good shape also out here on 840 around Sulphur Springs as far as that traffic flow. Now there's some radar not only in that area but as you continue on 840 towards Williamson County. Ober Gatlinburg Restaurant and Lounge celebrating Oktoberfest. Check it out at obergatlinburg.com. I'm Commander Chuck. You're on time traffic. The sunrise puffs up above the horizon. So glad to see you today. I'm Amy Watson. And I'm Ben Hill. Welcome to News Channel 5 this morning. Time to fill your day with something more than a routine. This is Sky 5 Live as uh, every day there's a brand new skyscraper <laughs> going up. This is where we connect. Come on, y'all. We are alive. We are well. We Laugh. <laughs> see the beauty of the morning. When you look out this morning in that sunrise, you get the prettiest picture. Uh, News Channel 5 helps you out the traffic door. Traffic anchor Rebecca Schleicher joins us now with the latest. The good news is there are pretty easy alternate routes. With something more than news, weather, and traffic. News Channel 5's Nick Barris is in our Good News Alert <laughs> Center this morning. Take a good look girl, right there at this dog. Yes, it's something to lift your spirits. Wow. If that doesn't get you going, then we need to have a chit-chat. Ben, Amy, Leland, Nikki D, Rebecca, and Nick. We are here to get you yeah. revved up and going. A better day. It's Wednesday it is day. Starts this morning. News Channel 5 this morning. Look for lots of sunshine for this afternoon with high temperatures working up to 80. For tonight, mostly clear, 43, and upper 60s on Saturday. I'm meteorologist Michael Kara, News Radio WGNS. Right now it's 50 degrees. Hey, hi, and hello there. Rutherford Issues with Brian Barrett. Fun lovers and truth seekers. Weekday mornings at 10 on WGNS AM FM online.
Hey, neighbor, when you talk, others listen. If it's on Good Neighbor Talk, keep it here. WTNS AM FM FM, online. This is Inside the Courts. A look at this month's trials, pleas, and grand jury action. Inside the Courts is presented as a courtesy of the Rutherford County Clerk's Office. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is your District Attorney, Jennings Jones. And in this segment, I will be your tour guide as I take you inside the courts. We begin this segment by stating that none of the defendants named in upcoming trials or hearings have been convicted. And, of course, they are presumed by our law to be innocent. With that as a prelude, we will now go inside the courts. On July 6th of 2022, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office responded to a residence on Panther Creek Road in response to a shooting. After receiving a 911 call, deputies discovered the body of Mr. Clarence Rowden. Mr. Rowden had been shot multiple times. Witnesses identified Mr. Jeffrey Burris as the shooter. Mr. Burris was located and found to be in possession of a firearm. Mr. Burris was taken into custody and interviewed by law enforcement. Detective Kyle Norad has been assigned as the lead investigator. Upon the conclusion of all interviews and evidence collection, Mr. Burris has been charged with the first-degree murder of Mr. Rowden. Mr. Burris awaits his next court date on November the 7th of this year in General Sessions Court of Rutherford County. He is represented by counsel, Mr. Josh Crane, and the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On August 30th of this year, Officers with the Smyrna Police Department responded to a shooting at a gas station on Sam Ridley Parkway. Mr. Nicholas Patterson had been shot during the course of an attempted robbery and later died as a result of his injuries. Surveillance video showed an armed subject enter the store, point his firearm at Mr. Patterson, fire at least one shot into the ceiling of the store, and then shot Mr. Patterson before running out of the store. Detective Steve Hanna with the Smyrna Police Department has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. As a result of two other robberies, one in Brentwood and one in Nashville, Mr. Keanthony Williams has been identified as a suspect. Upon execution of a search warrant, Mr. Williams was taken into custody and found to be in possession of a firearm. After being interviewed by law enforcement, Mr. Williams was charged with first-degree murder, attempted aggravated robbery, and possession of a weapon by a convicted felon. Mr. Williams is being held at the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center and awaits his next court date on October the 18th, 2022, in the Smyrna General Sessions Court. Mr. Williams is represented by Assistant Public Defender Ben Wetzel, and the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On September 27th of last year, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a residence on Bivens Hill Road in reference to a shooting. Once on scene, deputies located Miss Tony Odom, the victim of a gunshot wound. Miss Odom died from the injuries she sustained from the shooting. Detective Ty Downing with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. After interviewing witnesses and reviewing physical evidence found at the scene of the crime, Detective Ty Downing identified Erwin Odom, the victim's husband, as the suspect. At the conclusion of the investigation, Mr. Odom was charged with first-degree murder. Mr. Odom is represented by counsel, Mr. Josh Crane. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Sarah Davis. This matter is currently set in General Sessions Court with a preliminary hearing scheduled for November the 7th of this year. 
On the 6th of April, 2022, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to an apartment complex on Old Las Casas Road, where the body of Mr. Ryan Walcott had been found, beaten and stabbed to death. Mr. Walcott was left laying on the floor of his apartment. Detective Julie Cox with the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. Alistair Jennings, one of Mr. Walcott's roommates, has been developed as a suspect. Detective Cox's investigation has resulted in physical evidence and witness statements that connect Mr. Jennings to the murder of Mr. Walcott, resulting in Mr. Jennings being charged with first-degree murder. On August 12th of this year, a preliminary hearing was held in the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County. Upon pre proof presented by the state, the court bound the matter over for presentation to the grand jury. The defendant is represented by Murfreesboro attorney, Ms. Barbara Penland Lefevers, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On December 4th of 2020, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department were dispatched to an apartment complex on North Rutherford Boulevard in reference to a shooting that resulted in the death of Mr. Montavis Jones. Mr. Jones was left laying in the parking lot of his apartment complex. Murfreesboro Detective Chris Pate was assigned as the lead investigator. After the shooting, Mr. Mikhail Boyd was located at St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital as a result of a gunshot wound. Video surveillance footage showed Mr. Boyd being brought to the hospital by Mr. Tevin Campbell and Paul Turner. After a lengthy investigation that included interviewing witnesses, obtaining cell phone records, social media records, and expert witness reports, Detective Pate charged Mr. Boyd, Mr. Campbell, and Mr. Turner, along with Martavis Guy with first-degree murder, attempted especially aggravated robbery, conspiracy to aggravated robbery, and employing a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony. Mr. Guy's girlfriend, Tybricia Lattimore, has been charged with conspiracy to commit aggravated robbery and facilitation to attempted especially aggravated robbery. Mr. Boyd is represented by counsel, Mr. Art Quinn, Mr. Turner by Mr. Casey Little, Mr. Guy by attorney Ben Powers, and Ms. Lattimore by Mr. Jeffrey Jackson. Mr. Campbell is represented by Mr. Michael Offinger. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. A preliminary hearing was held on August the 8th of this year in the General Sessions Court for Rutherford County, where this case was bound over to the grand jury and now awaits presentation. On February the 12th of this year, the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a parking lot on Middle Tennessee Boulevard in response to a shooting. Upon arrival, officers discovered at least five individuals who had been struck by gunfire. Two individuals have been shot multiple times, including Mr. Brandon Anderson, who later died from his injuries. Murfreesboro Detective Cody Thomas has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. Upon conclusion of his investigation, Detective Jacob Fountain charged Mr. Jamar Marks with first-degree murder, attempted first-degree murder, three counts of aggravated assault, employing a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, and reckless endangerment with a deadly weapon. Mr. Marks appeared before the General Sessions Court in Rutherford County on June 30th of this year. His preliminary hearing was waived, and he voluntarily bound the matter over to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. Mr. Marks is represented by Murfreesboro Attorney Mr. Josh Crane, and the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On April the 24th of last year, 
Officers on patrol heard shots fired and responded to 1621 Middle Tennessee Boulevard. Officers found Mr. Shakur Ali, <clears throat> who had been shot and later died from his injuries. Apollo Cantrell was identified as the shooter and fled the state. Detective Richard Presley of the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. Through cooperation with the state of Iowa, Mr. Cantrell was apprehended. He is presently incarcerated at the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center on charges of second-degree murder and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. He is represented by Murfreesboro attorney Mr. Will Fraley. A preliminary hearing was held in this case on, Feb on February the 7th of this year, and the General Sessions Court found probable cause to bind this matter over to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. On February 6th of last year, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting resulting in the death of 21-year-old Giovanni Gillis at a residence on Ewing Boulevard. Murfreesboro Detective Cody Thomas has been assigned as lead investigator. Upon conclusion of Detective Thomas's investigation, Larry Johnson II has been charged with first-degree murder. Mr. Johnson is represented by Mr. Michael Flanagan, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. Following a preliminary hearing in the General Sessions Court on May 5th of last year, the case was bound over to the Rutherford County Grand Jury, where it awaits presentment. On June the 27th of 2018, Officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting on Old Las Casas Pike. Upon arrival, officers located Dylan Biddle Jr., who had sustained multiple gunshot wounds. Mr. Biddle later died from his injuries. Officers were also contacted about an unknown male that had been shot and was attempting to get into vehicles at the Reeves Rogers Elementary School. That male was later identified as Albert Mustafa. Detective Doug Arrington was assigned as lead investigator. Multiple witnesses were interviewed and evidence was collected from the scene of the crime. Upon conclusion of the investigation, it was determined that Mr. Mustafa and Devante James went to a residence on Old Las Casas with the intent to commit a robbery. Mr. Biddle was a guest at that residence. Mr. Mustafa and Mr. James entered into the residence and attempted to rob Mr. Biddle. During the course of the attempted robbery, Mr. Biddle was shot and killed. He was, how able, pardon me, he was, however, able to return fire, and Mr. Mustafa sustained a gunshot wound as a result. Mr. Mustafa and Mr. James were charged with first-degree felony murder, aggravated robbery, employing a weapon during the commission of a dangerous felony, and conspiracy to commit murder. Mr. Mustafa is represented by Mr. Thomas Parkinson, while Mr. James is represented by Mr. Rusty Perkins. The state will be represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. The next court date for both defendants has been set for October the 13th of, next, of this year. On October the 24th of 2020, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting that occurred at the intersection of North Tennessee Boulevard and Stonewall Boulevard. Officers discovered the body of Mr. Blake Bolton, who was the victim of two gunshot wounds. Murfreesboro Detective Albert Miles was assigned as lead investigator. At the conclusion of his investigation, Detective Miles charged Mr. Gilliam with the first-degree murder of Mr. Bolton. Following a preliminary hearing on March 23, 2021, the case was bound over to the grand jury. Mr. Gilliam remains in the custody of the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center. A Rutherford County grand jury has indicted Mr. Gilliam for first-degree murder, especially aggravated robbery, 
burglary to an automobile, possession of methamphetamine with the intent to distribute, employment of a weapon during the commission of a dangerous felony, and conspiracy to commit the same. Mr. Gilliam is represented by counsel Mr. Jeff Burton, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. The next scheduled court date is October the 20th of this year. And that will conclude today's look inside the courts. The Dave Ramsey Show, where debt is dumb, cash is king, and the paid-off home mortgage has taken the place of the BMW. Weekdays from 1 to 4 on WGNS. Hi, this is Gator with Tire World Off-Road. We are your local rough country dealer. So when you're ready to add some character to your rig, ask for Gator at Tire World Off-Road on Memorial Boulevard. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Online at tireworld.us. As we end our program today, we thank our producer, Scott Walker. And we thank WGNS for providing the airtime. And we thank Mike Turner from the Murfreesboro Police Department. Most of all, we thank you for listening. Our next scheduled broadcast is Friday morning, November the 4th at 8, 10 a.m. on your good neighbor station, WGNS. We leave by saying... A safe community is the responsibility of each and every one of us. For my two co-hosts, Jennings Jones and Trevor Lynch, this is J. Paul Newman, bidding all of you a safe and blessed day. The District Attorney's Office thanks you for listening to today's program. If you have any information regarding criminal activity in our community, please contact one of our law enforcement agencies. The information presented on today's show is solely for informational benefit and not intended to be legal advice. You should always consult an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Rutherford County's most trusted name in news. Talk Radio WGNS, Murfreesboro.